Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. Sorry I've been away from you for a few weeks. Uh, I caught a nasty cold or a flu, and it had me kind of down and out for a little bit. It wasn't COVID, but I guess it may as well have been, but I'm back. And uh, my guest for this episode, this is episode 129, is John Fontana. He's a guitarist for a band called Shadow Circus. If you haven't heard of them, they are an East Coast band here in the U.S. that uh, is known for their progressive rock, their sort of classic progressive rock sound and style. They're back with a brand new album, their fourth, and it is called From the Shadows. The album came out digitally at Halloween, and the CDs are just now starting to go out. It's a little bit heavier album for Shadow Circus than what we've heard in the past, but it's a terrific album, and I can't wait to get to that interview with John for you. Before we get started, I want to remind you to go to michaelsrecordcollection.com. That is my website, and of course, there are links there to everything, including how to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Get it in your mailbox every week, unless I'm sick. And uh, you can also sign up for my Patreon. There's a link there for my Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, you can support this independent podcast. If you get any kind of value out of it at all, would love to have your support. Two bucks a month, everybody can afford that, just about. The more you support the show, the greater your benefits for subscribing. There are also links there to all my social media accounts, but I'll just tell you what they are here. At Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I'd love to hear from you, so why not drop me a line? You can reach me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. With all the housekeeping out of the way, let's get to that interview with John Fontana of Shadow Circus. Here we go. I am happy to be joined for this episode by Shadow Circus guitarist John Fontana. John, how you doing? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. All right, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a new album from The Shadows, from Shadow Circus, and now I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to start out now. You guys had Welcome to the Freak Room in 06, and then you came back with Whispers and Screams in 2009 and On a Dark and Stormy Night in 2012. Now, I thought we had a deal every three years. <laughs> where you guys? Where you guys been since then? <laughs> wow. I mean, that time flew. I mean, honestly, I thought I was just hunkering down to experiment with some new sounds and, and find some new things. And I blinked and it was a decade later than I had expected. So, uh, so uh, sorry about that. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you broke the deal. That's fine. It's fine. Um, but we're, we're going to talk about that album uh, a little bit. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to ask you what I typically ask my guests, which is, what was your first favorite record, John? First favorite record was the first favorite rock record was Steve Miller band book of dreams. Hmm. Okay. And how did you come upon that album? Was it something in the house that your dad had or were we, you know, did you just hear it on the radio and asked for it or. That was big on the radio when I was, when I was a kid. And, uh, so I've just dated myself there for, uh, for whatever for whatever my hair dye might have hidden, I just gave away and, and undid. Uh, but um, but at least you still have yours, you know. <laughs> at least that's what it appears like. This could be a Zoom filter too, you know. I mean, you you, you can never underestimate how far technology has come. <laughs> I, I need that filter, obviously. <laughs> you look great. Works for you. <laughs> uh so so yeah i mean like you know swing town and 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 songs like that were big on the radio at the time and i remember 
particularly being drawn to the uh, vocal harmony sound. Hmm. There was something really euphonic about it. It was just, a, it was, it hit my ears in a really pleasurable way. And I wanted to keep hearing it over and over again. Uh, and my brother had the album and I loved the album cover with that, like Pegasus, mm-hmm. you know, surrounded with a rainbow. And it was like, I was just, I was drawn to the look of it, the sound of it. And so my brother then gave me that album and it was like the first album that, that was, I could call mine. Wow. Nice album. No. Now, are you from a musical family? Did you grow up with people playing musical instruments all around you? Or did you sort of pioneer that in your family? Well, I was the youngest of six kids where all five who preceded me had pursued guitar, had bought guitars, took guitar lessons, but didn't stay with it. Um, So when I was going to, so I might have even have delayed my my inclination to get into it figuring it was going to go down the same road as it did for my other siblings so Mm -hmm. and i had really been begging for piano lessons and i found myself drawn to the sound of keyboards and piano but ultimately we didn't have the kind of household that could had the room or the money to go get a piano and, and visit somewhere. And, and I knew that a, a, a Casio wasn't going to cut it for me. I, I was growing up with the sounds of Rick Wakeman and Moogs and, uh, and a, so a Casio just wasn't going to cut it. As soon as mm-hmm. I heard that hit that button and heard that cheesy Samba rhythm, I was like, this is not what I mean by <laughs> keyboards, you know? So ultimately when uh, guitar came about, it was a, it was a new thing and it was like, oh, let's see if Sean goes further with this than than everybody else did. Did you get like a hand me down from a brother or something? Yep, I sure did. I had uh I had an, an acoustic guitar that was found in our basement that it belonged to my oldest brother, so five siblings before me. So it was really old. And it was uh the action on that was so high that at the twelfth fret, I mean, you could fit probably your whole hand <laughs> between the. So 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 for the first couple of months that I was trying to play, I guess it was an exercise in finger strength, just trying to push down. Like I don't even think it was feasible to fret notes above like the eighth fret. Like it was just not even physically doable on that instrument. Mm, wow. Um, so how long? Did it take you to figure out that you had some aptitude for this instrument? It was hanging out with a group of friends when I was in, in high school. And I had my uh, my first like Squire Strat, Red Strat. And uh, they had a little amp and I had, had the distortion pedal and a delay pedal, which for me unlocked the secrets of like the sounds of Jimmy Page and all this. Like, you know, being able to play something and hear an echo continue with, that was wild for me. Mm. Uh, and um uh, and just so hanging out with friends who's like kind of only um, exposure to being in a group of people playing guitar with somebody strumming an acoustic. So I came in and, uh, and cranked up the distortion and this delay pedal and just started playing kind of randomly fast stuff. Like I wasn't properly playing fast. I was just putting my fingers up high on the fretboard and just going like, willy, 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 willy. Mm. and they were all like, whoa and you know like and they were just like and i was like wow i can they can be tricked into thinking i can actually play this thing you know like i felt like i was doing like some some deceptive tricks to make it sound as if i could play but they were really entertained by it and then over time i started 
slowing down behind the scenes and learning how to really do what I was making believe I could do, you know, and, uh, and I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is working out. All right. So tell me about the transition from learning your instrument to shadow circus. Were there other bands along the way? Lots. In fact, uh, yeah, there was there was a whole era of music and playing in live bands for me, and and that started around uh, uh, 1990 or 89 when I joined my first band, and um, and we uh, uh, it was a, a, a cool band uh, um, called Violet Love that, and we played some cool places in the city. We played CBGBs and and mm. some of the uh, some of the clubs that were around at the time, there was this great little club in the Lower East Side called Downtown Beirut. That was what probably one of the most fun gigs I've ever played was at that place. And that band was um, was very much influenced by like Jane's Addiction. And uh, and we had this monstrous, monstrous drummer. We had a crazy front man who used to do just like wild, wild stuff on stage. Um, and... Uh, so it was aggressive, psychedelic, a lot of jam-based stuff that we were doing. We were really free to experiment. Um, so uh, yeah, that started. And I, so I played in in the for the just about the entire decade of the 1990s. I was uh, I was always playing in bands, playing clubs. Now, did you guys put anything out like a, a, you know to release anything? No, we never got further than a demo with that band. Ultimately, there's a, the next band that I joined after that was called Persona Grata, and we have lots of recordings of that, but there was nothing that was released digitally. We were, I mean, we were still dealing, that was still kind of out of reach in the early 90s, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then it was in the late 90s, and uh, the last of that category of bands that I was in called Omnilingus, uh, we have a CD, which actually at some point here, and uh, uh, um, if we pause, I'll, uh, I'll get up and find it. Um, I actually have one or two copies of that. Nice. You held the candle beneath the eyes of a lonely child you knew what to say. All the while when times were down, come little child, spend some time with me. And I will make it all seem right. Do not know, yeah, we'll ride the light of the circus, merry go round and round. Hold my hand, make a wish tonight. Well, here's a time to all be happy now. I know you wouldn't want to see us cry out loud. It's time holding back the rain, but it's all in what's inside. In the wake of a dancing flame, time passes and seasons change. In the wake of a dancing flame, good things will come your way. So tell me about Shadow Circus. How did this form? How did you hook up with this particular group of musicians and and start uh, your journey down the progressive rock genre? Sure. So, I mean, uh, to start with, progressive rock was the genre that got me excited about music. Like, you know, kind of Steve Miller Band was a, a pretty good representation of it. I liked 
the accessible brand of it, whereas Harmony Vocals and Moog. So when I heard yes, that was like really like obvious to me. I was like, yes, perfectly fits this. It's, you know, the the overall vibe of it, you know, was uh, uh, very appealing to me. And, and it took me a little longer to acclimate to like the more wild time signatures and keys, but ultimately I was full on into that and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and all that. So, so shadows, but however, in the context of the bands I was playing in in the nineties, I didn't quite know how to get other musicians on board with that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the hip thing. Yeah. I couldn't, there was really no place to play that you know, in, in, in the live settings we were playing. And if you did, you were, you might've just risked just having a non-responsive audience. You know, we were playing places that the demand for the kind of alternative rock I was playing at the time was big. So, so, so it was always kind of like a secret desire where I was like, man, I would love to write like a 20 minute long epic song with freaking beautiful climax and, and, and have something that's really orchestrated beautifully with all kinds of delicious keyboard sounds, but I couldn't afford to get any of those things. I I just didn't have a network of people to do it. So fast forward to like around like 2002, I'm like, uh, I, um, I got a, a computer and I got an audio interface and I got a MIDI controller and I started discovering virtual software, Mellotrons and Moogs and Hammond. And I'm like, so I rededicated myself to studying piano technique and, and keyboards again. And kind of like guitar took a little bit of a backseat. And I started doing that more and more and more. And then I decided at some point I wanted to get back and see if I could audition for a band, maybe playing this type of music. So I uh, like, but any of the recordings I had of Amalingus um, or, or, or Persona Grata weren't going to get me in the door of a progressive rock band. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, so I better record something that shows, you know, I mean, I could at the time I could play a bunch of like Yes and Rush songs and I could play Mood for a Day. And I'm like, let me put together some recordings that I could use as a calling card and see if I can join a prog rock band. Mm-hmm. So I recorded a demo and uh, and I set out to and I uh, auditioned for one guy who was putting together a progress project uh and he was cool and he liked what he did but but when i i recorded that i played it for dave who's now the singer of shadow circus and he was there was a melody in that piece that i wrote where he was floored he he was like he like kind of just went and and like he he leaned he kind of fell back against the wall of the room he was like i had no idea you wrote stuff like this he's like i've never met anybody who wrote stuff like this and i was like wow you know i was really excited about it and i was like well you know this is my my calling card for auditions or whatever and he was like no i know a drummer and i i have ideas for this so I dropped the, the idea of auditioning and he reached out to the drummer that he knew that fell through, but I sent it to actually the drummer who was in Persona Grana, the band that I mentioned that I was in, in the early nineties. And he wrote back to me and said, well, I, uh, 
I, I, I always wish that I could start a label where I could just sign anything I love because I'm listening to this and I just love it. And I was like, do you want to come in and play on some stuff? Um, <laughs> so he, uh, that's Corey, who, who is the you know, drummer on the first two albums. So, so we actually just set out, we at that point just um, put out an ad for a bass player. Matt answered it. Zach Tenorio, who really talented uh, young keyboardist. Uh, he was still going to school at the time. He was playing in the Paul Green School of Rock. And he, was, he had um, just been played uh, shows with John Anderson. He had played close to the edge, performed with John Anderson. So I'm like, wow, this is the kid. He was outrageous. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that that it was kind of on Dave's insistence that I didn't just use this music as a uh, as a calling card that uh, it turned into Shadow Circus. So you you said this was early 2000. So it, it 2002 ish. It didn't take you guys long to put together. Welcome to the Freak Room. Uh, how? How was that for you guys? I mean, was was it a lot of experimentation, trial and error? I mean, you obviously have a, a much better idea of of how to work as a band now. But that first one, I'm always, I'm always curious as to how that first one came together. Like, uh, was it was it a struggle or what, did it come together pretty easily for you guys? I mean, it was all fun and exciting. I was I was just learning to use a uh, computer and uh, to record and demo things. And so uh, for me, a lot of that album just came out through having fun with the experimentation of it. So, so I always enjoy that discovery, you know, kind of aspect of it. So that was fun. There was no pressure. There was no expectations. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, because I mean, we had no deadline. It wasn't until, you know, I had all the songs all demoed for it that we all just went in the studio and learned it. And we all just went into the studio like in a day and recorded all of the bass and drums and just took a couple of weeks afterwards to get all of the guitars and vocals all, all and keyboards all neatened up. Um, so I would say that was relatively easy. Okay. You talked about this piece that you wrote that kind of floored your, your eventual lead singer, David Bowick. Did that end up on that first album? Yes. So that is the middle the melody that he heard you can hear now in the middle of it's in the second act of journey of every man okay. so it's it's in the piece called find your way so it's uh uh you'll hear there's a melody that's played on a 12 string that's doubled over the 12 string doubled with a piano Just a place in the back of your mind Came a boy full of hopes and wonder He had the light glowing deep in his eyes Pockets filled with the dreams and the promises Nothing more for the journey ahead And with the warmth of sunrise in front of him He said, oh And it's just a very, it's a very slow, pretty kind of 
bittersweet melody, which I think was a little bit influenced at the time by listening to Transatlantic and Neil Morris. Okay. Yeah. You know, you flash forward, you had three albums out in nine years. You mentioned there's this long delay before the, the fourth album. And can't wait to get into it with you. I want to start by kind of going back to what you and I were talking about before we hit the record button, which is, you know, what uh, what was what was going through your mind? Why the why the long delay? And, and and what were you up to between the third and fourth record? So after the third record, there was somewhat of a period of introspection. You know, we um, we were about to play a festival, which I won't I won't I won't say what the specific festival was, mm-hmm. where we were really working hard to rehearse for that festival. And a lot of difficult things were a lot of things were making it difficult for some of the band members to do that. Uh, somebody was just going through kind of a family separation thing that was really kind of traumatic. I won't get into everybody's personal business, but there were a couple of people for whom it was extremely stressful to keep up with the demands of preparing for it. And at one point I had just contacted the festival to say, Hey, we're about to start thinking about making the arrangements for this and, uh, and to get up there. So we just wanted to see what you were going to do, you know, as far as helping us with our, our cab fare, basically like, you know, what was the compensation or whatever. And they were mm-hmm. like, Oh no, we don't, we don't compensate you. You know? And I was like, would have been nice to mention maybe when you were asking us to get on board with that, let mm-hmm. us know that this was all going to be out of pocket. So, so we already had this very strange situation where everybody was trying to keep up with it. And then it was going to be very expensive. Yeah. Uh, so that coupled with the fact that after that, there was no follow-up. Like there wasn't anything that that event was going to build to. Um, Cause since we started this band, five prog festivals stopped, you yeah. know, it's like, it, it just name them. They just ended. And even several of the venues local to me closed, you know? So I was like, wow. So having a live lineup and maintaining this live lineup, I was like, guys, even if we go out of pocket and go up and play this festival, there's nothing after it. Zero. I'm like, I I really don't understand what we're working towards. So I said, let's pause and let's figure out what our goal really is. Like, where where can the band go? You know? Um, So in the act of pausing and doing that and people start to get busy with other things. And then we're just like, you know what? We just want to experience something different. Let's, let's kind of just reset and let us work on creating music that we love and that we feel. And that's honestly us. And let's see what new experiences that connects us with. You know, and one thing that I think was a watershed moment was when we saw a Devin Townsend project in Baltimore. And we were kind of like, the thing that I lo- loved about Devin Townsend is he's singing about his mental health issues and addiction. And I'm like, so here's a very different take on, on progressive music where he's not, he's not singing from the point of view of, 
wizards and warlocks or abstract poetry that's you, you know impenetrable obfuscation of poetic ideas like john anderson you know he mm-hmm. he's basically saying here's me like bear in all my ugliness you know and and his audience loved it and i was like he's connecting in such an honest mm-hmm. way with people i was like i i want to do this and one thing that was a big kind of shove in that direction is I had a mentor. Uh, his name was Ramsey Amin. Who um, and if there's some people who uh, who watch your program who are really hardcore avant-garde fans, he was a violinist for avant-garde pianist Cecil Taylor, who uh, is an absolute maniac of a uh, a, a, a jazz uh, avant-garde player. I mean, uh, stuff that would make the most the most avant-garde sounding magma or Henry Cow stuff sound like Bon Jovi, you know, I mean, he, <laughs> he, he was out of control. So Ramsey, I mean, was this violinist and he actually had listened to our music and I had reconnected with him because he was my math teacher when I was seventh grade. So through Facebook kind of reconnect. Mm-hmm. So he kind of encouraged me along and he saw what I was kind of struggling with and what I was figuring out what I wanted to achieve with music. And he said, and this was just, uh, he had he passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but obviously before then, he said, John, I know whatever you do with music is going to be honest. And, uh, and I trust you to do that. And I think that in the process of doing that, part of it may have been that he was trusting me to do it, but it might have also been his way of saying, be honest. Mm. So I set out to do so. I was like, you know what? Let's sing from the point of view of our personal experiences. Because before we were talking about literary references like Stephen King's The Stand, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole last album was based on on Madeline Lengel's Wrinkle in Wrinkle Time. Time yeah. And we love those things. And and we did those stories because they had themes that we connected with. So it's not like they were dishonest. We weren't just doing this in kind of a third person thing, like here's a story and we don't get this story, but we're going to tell it to you anyway. We we did it because we had something personal in it too. But but this album is really personal. Uh, it's also a heavier album. So right from the jump, you can tell right away that this is a heavier album than what we're used to from you guys. Had you been listening to heavier music in recent years or uh, was there some new influence that was introduced other than you talked about Devin Townsend, who's obviously a, uh, has very heavy music as well. Uh, what was on your mind? Uh, a couple of things. We always loved heavier music but we all also even throughout the making of this loved the kind of symphonic stuff and keyboard based music that we'd always done uh so we can really there's a very broad range of sounds we can pick from that still reflect us honestly you know we could have done a completely piano based album and or something even heavier and it still would have been an honest reflection of us so i think it kind of came with this where it still has some of the elements like you know i, I still have some of the acoustic stuff in there and mm-hmm. it opens up with a two minute keyboard intro. So, you know, we were showing, Hey, we haven't abandoned everything, you know, yeah. we, still, we still have one foot in the prog world. Yeah. And um, you have that, you have that atmospheric piece at the end, second star from the right. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that, and there's more like that, you know? Uh, so we, um, we thought that why not have an album that sounds like an album, you know? So, so we're like, uh, Let's let's see what the common themes are here. So some of the things that transpired while we were writing it, the pandemic, extreme political turmoil, and all these things were really 
you know, there was a lot of anxiety, you know, and, and not, to, not just in, in, in ourselves, but in the world. So I'm like, thinking back to watching Devin Townsend, I'm like, it really feels like there's something cathartic about heavier music that's really relevant to the way we felt while we were recording it and kind of to the feeling we're getting from the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about the lineup here? Is, has there, have there been lineup changes since the last album? I know it's you and David as, as it's been from the beginning. Yeah. So um, uh, Dave and I are, uh, you know, have always been the core of it, you know, and other members have, um, have come and gone. And we're still uh, uh, friends with just about every, everybody who's ever recorded on the Shadow Circus album. But uh, during the recording of it, that was during the height of the pandemic. Mm. So a lot of people weren't accessible and it wasn't a time when we could easily go and meet in a studio. So just uh, in the year or so before we, um, we, we set out to begin recording, uh, we had heard that Devin Townsend had disbanded Devin Townsend Project. Uh, and he had a post on uh, on Facebook that said, hey, here are these guys. I highly recommend them. Please hire them for your project. Uh, uh, love working with them. So um, so ultimately, when it came time to like, you know, we're like, I wonder if this will even be possible. So I only had part of the album written, uh, some of the songs done. And we reached out to Ryan Van Poderoin, uh, the drummer, and he said, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. Let's, you know, let's do it. He said, but my availability is during this time frame, and then I don't know what's going to happen after that. So we're like, oh, we only have a couple of things written here. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, and I, I still have other sketches of ideas. So it kind of kicked me in the ass to, to get going. And, uh, and ultimately, we um, uh, wanted the uh, bass player, too, who... Forgive me if I, I, I'm not remembering his name, but uh, he at the time wasn't available because he was opening a new restaurant or something uh, in, up in Vancouver. But we were like, you know, always loved Pain of Salvation and felt like that was along a similar line of heavy prog, you know, that, you know, sometimes crossed the line into prog metal, but it still wasn't afraid to have keyboard based stuff. And it was still really dynamic, mm-hmm. you know. And so, like, absolutely loved Gustav uh, Helm's work with with Pain of Salvation and reached out to him. And as it turned out, Ryan had worked with him on another project. And I'm like, you know, if we if we're during the pandemic, we have to be able to work with people remotely. And it was the way everybody was recording. So we're like, you know what? This is fun. So um, so they agreed to work with us, and uh, they were very reasonable about the, you know, they, they didn't charge us an arm and a leg to do it. They, they were really great. They had a lot of fun with it. And when I was talking to Ryan, I said, you know, we're punching above our weight here working with you guys. You know, you guys have, have toured the world. You've put out massive albums. You've played massive festivals. You've, you know, you've, you've played sold out night after sold out night at, at, at uh, uh, Royal Albert Hall. You know, I mean, we know what we're, what we're getting ourselves into. We know if somebody sees Dave and I working with these guys, we know everybody knows. Yeah, we hired these guys. We, we, we brought them in. I'm not going to make believe that they were beating our door down. Please let us play in Shadow Circus. You know, it, it, of course they were hired guns for this, but Man, they were awesome. And I, I, I said, guys, put us to school. 
show us how to make a great album. Okay. So, and, and, uh, and they, I think that's part of where the heaviness comes from is this, there's a lot of, uh, a lot more double kick drum than what we're used to from shadow circus, for example, in this, the, the drumming is heavy in, in addition to the crunch from the guitar. And of course the soloing and all, all of that is a, it's a little bit heavier than, than what we're used to, but in, it doesn't, it doesn't stray miles away. I think, I think David reigns in some of the theatricality of, of his vocals on this album as well. And, and that's again, part and parcel of what you talked about before making it a personal and honest record uh, is going to naturally make you gravitate towards those kind of choices rather than, you know, singing about captain trips, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I say no longer say, you know, he, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, in, in captain trips, he would, he would sing, and throughout all of uh, uh, a lot of the songs on Project Blue and uh, on the second album, he actually sings for that song from the point of view of a virus, mm. you know, and and he sings uh, another song from the point of view of Trash Can Man, you know, mm. and, and and other characters in the story, you know, and so yeah, I mean, he has a theater degree, and that was one of the things that he came in with. But this was he he found kind of similar paths where, for instance, Into the Fire is a dialogue between him and his anxiety and he sings from the point of view like he kind of personifies his anxiety uh it is his his anxiety saying let's jump into the fire together come on let's 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 ride you know and, mm-hmm. and, and taking him on this unpleasant ride you know so so still a little element of that but yeah it's it's honest there isn't there isn't a line on this album that isn't something that uh, he, he or, or we haven't felt. So you and you and David do a lot of the writing. You get a lot of the writing credits uh, throughout the, the history of the band. I'm assuming, based on what you've said so far in this interview, that a lot of this is you writing the music and David adding the lyrics. Is that correct, or is it uh, is it a little bit of a combination? Uh, that's the basis of it. There has been a, a little bit more cross cross pollination on this album than in others, but you know. Um, for instance, one thing that I realized, like before I used to be like very protective of my solos and, and wanting that to be a domain that I had all to myself. And Dave has this mystifyingly good ear. Like it's like, it's scary good. I would say, you know, since, since we can't, since this album, we had to do it like kind of, you know, uh, we couldn't go into the studio with a full band and kind of get the live feel of the album. So I'm like, so I would be like, Hey, come over and let me play solos for you. So at least I'm getting the feeling 
of a performance and I'm feeling like what it's like telling a musical story with a solo, you know? And, uh, and so he would watch and he would say, yes, but in this part, it's a bit fiddly and it sounds like it could use some direction here. So, so I'd be like, okay. And then he might say something about another part and I'd be like, well, like, kind of really liked what I did there, but all right. Every single piece of feedback he gave me that I actually kind of just gave up my ego and tried turned out way better. Hmm. So I was just like, at one point I was like, I can't finish this solo because you haven't given me feedback on it yet. Like I, mm-hmm. I went from do not touch my solos and do not tell me how to solo to I don't consider it done until I've heard from Dave about it. Yeah. Give me, give me a sign off here on this one. Do you like it? Or just what, what can I change here? Make it better. Yeah. Cause it was just, he's making it better. I have to, what good is my ego going to do if uh, I'd be better if I, you know, let that go, you know? Yeah. All right. So, talking about soloing who inspires you as a soloist who who are some of the guys who or maybe it's just every, what you hear in your inner ear what what is your approach to soloing so i mean my uh i mean my earliest influence came from jimmy page and and and, and i mean it was the uh, anything off of the first you know two zeppelin albums is, is kind of like where my love for guitar soloing was born you know, and if you watch the song remains the same, you know, and he breaks out the violin bow. I'm like, you know, I like, I like solos that have a kind of visceral emotional quality to them. David Gilmore, you know, I love soaring melodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I would rather, I would rather hear a single soaring note that you don't know when it's going to stop than to do something that is metronomically impressive you know like um like and there's some things like that i still like speed i I like players like ingve and there's a couple of moments here you know i'd say like in particular on uh on um um, a new death you know there's a moment in there where i was like let me just try to do something ferociously fast and see where it could go so there's a moment of it on there uh but yeah for me so david gilmore jimmy page and then more recently, I've, I think I've kind of refined uh, the structure of soloing by influence of uh, Richie Blackmore. Uh, and I studied and learned a lot of his solos note for note while developing the solos for this album. Mm. Okay. It's funny that you brought up Song Remains the Same. It, it's so weird. I, I hadn't seen it in years. I literally watched it last weekend. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so it's pretty fresh in my mind. Um, now this record is eight songs, 47 minutes. It doesn't, it's not this sprawling uh, transatlantic flower Kings hour and 15 minute type thing. Was that an intentional choice on your part to keep this thing, um, you know, sort of a little bit more brief and, and try to say more in less time? Yeah. I mean, we, we went for more and there's uh, a couple of ideas that we recorded and even that Ryan and Gustav had recorded parts to that didn't make it onto the album. Um, Cause ultimately the, uh, you know, we, we just, we felt that this group of songs was telling a good story about this era, you know, of our creative lives. And, uh, 
we had something in there that for the people who, there are some people who listen to this that say, well, I kind of missed the sound of the last album and they might've been really overjoyed at the other, it, had we included one or two of the other things that didn't make it. One thing on there that was kind of like Son of Willoughby, you know, that was oh, like yeah. this kind of big, very keyboard based, very proggy, you know, lots of changing time signatures. And I kind of felt like it was um, the odd stepchild when put next to the other stuff on this album, I was like, these seem to tell a cohesive story and a cohesive sound. Um, uh, it, so I'm like, let's, let's do this. This family of songs forms a nice, happy family with um, the ending second star being the one thing where I said, that's a little risky. It's, it's, this is something different, but that one had some significance. Uh, for me as the last song on the, on the album that it is, you know, like each, each, and I'm sorry if my thoughts meandered for a moment, but each album has ended on something a little different. Uh, and so I thought that was a good thing. Cause I'm like, cause then it kind of, and, and each album has begun with something related to the ending of the, the previous album. Mm. So I'm like, I feel like we're telling an overarching story with everything we do, you know? mentioned second star the, the the closing track it is um it's one of my favorites on the album even it, it, like you said it's a little different uh in terms of the feel of it and um what i love about it is though that it does work as this sort of denouement to the album right it's a this hard and heavy album for the most part still still some progressive elements as you mentioned still some keyboards in there some little bit of acoustic guitar here and there but by and large it's a very uh, aggressive for Shadow Circus, an aggressive album. And you get to this end and it does kind of come off as, all right, we've just put you through seven songs of this. Now we're going to, we're going to decompress here before we let you go. Yeah. Mood wise, it's a big shift and it's somewhat intentional. I mean, if that song, we allowed each song to come about on its own, you know, merits and on its own inertia. So, you know, and if we paused for a moment and said, hmm, which one of these things is not like the other, uh, or just like, you know, it kind of bookends the album because like I, I noted before, the uh, uh, the opening track, Vampires, begins with a two-minute keyboard intro, you know. Uh, so so I was like, so there's a little bit of a bookending here, but yes, it it goes somewhere. And the story of, of Second Star, I think, is important to the whole album because it's, that's what the, I don't know if you recognize the phrase, Second Star to the Right. It's a Peter Pan on. reference? Yeah. So second start of the right and straight on till morning, you know, is how you get to Neverland where you go and avoid ever aging and ever growing old. 
the album is a midlife crisis. <laughs> you know, the, the album is let I want to play those power chords. I, yeah, we're all getting on an age. We want to rock. We're, we're rocking out. We're kind of there's a little bit of a sign of hey, you know, it's like a uh, a a um, bringing our bringing the youthful feelings out into the surface and the kind of aggression and the kind of the kind of fight against mortality of aging of getting old and you know it's like so the album is kind of so that song is kind of like the confession of everything that came before it it's like i don't want to age i want i want to i want to play through a wall of marshals i want to you know <laughs> play power chord john you and your band you guys have always approached these albums i feel like with a great deal of uh, forethought and care. I feel like you guys sweat the details before you get going. So you've got things like this, the, the massive um, song cycle uh, based on Stephen King's The Stand. You've got this entire uh, Wrinkle in Time concept album. What were you, you mentioned some of the themes that you brought into this, but how much of this, uh, of the lyrical ideas are discussed before lyrics are written or or are they at all? Do you guys think about the things that you want to say and then David writes them or does David just write them and maybe you tweak them a little bit? Uh, in this case, we started to play around with what could possibly be a concept. I, uh, we knew that we didn't, we wanted to do something where individual songs could stand out for a few reasons. One, we wanted to have a different experience. So we're like, let's, let's see how we are with like creating individual songs that are each really unique from one another Part of it is because I thought I was getting away with something by doing that. Where, like, for example, on Dark and Stormy Night, Overture was composed last and consists of themes from the whole album. I think it is simultaneously one of the best things I've ever written. And I think I was cheating Hmm. because I basically was able to say, let me grab a theme from daddy's gone let me grab a theme from Kamazots. let me where can i fit in a theme from uriel you know and uh and i was able to put them together and really happy with the way it turned out it's one of my favorite things that i've ever written but i kind of felt like i was pulling something over somebody's eyes you know where i'm like i was allowed to repeat themes i'm like i don't know what to do here like you're like you're plagiarizing yourself almost yeah where i'm like you know writing a new song but you know, writing a concept album, you can write a new song and you give yourself license to recycle ideas from other songs. You know, so I mean, I could explain that away in creative ways, and it actually works really well in creative ways where I could say this was the red eyed man's theme. And if you'll notice on all the parts of the story where he surfaces, there's certain melodies and chord progressions that recur, you know, that. You know, so I'm like, so it's cool in that way. But I felt like I felt like it would be a, an interesting challenge to say, no, every song has to stand entirely on its own two feet. Hmm. It's interesting to hear you say that I not being a songwriter, being a big Neil Morris fan, every, almost everything this guy does has an overture. I just assumed overtures were always written like that, like they they always came from like, let me find the bits that that we're going to come back later and stitch them together in a new way to kind of 
introduce them, even though I've already written the other stuff. That's kind of what I thought was the, the case, but you're telling me that's not how it works usually? No, no, that is. That's how okay. you write an overture. You can't okay. write an overture <laughs> until, and in fact, it was funny because we were all rehearsing that album to record it. And everyone's <clears> like, John, the overture is not done. And I'm like, that's because the album's not done. I can't have an overture until we have the rest <laughs> of the album. So, okay. um, so, so that was, that was fun. No, no, you're, you, you, you understood it perfectly well. Okay. Yeah, you, well, you know, sometimes a broken clock is right, <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. So let's talk about the songs. Vampires, uh, I think is the perfect choice as the opener. kind of eases the shadow circus fan into what you're going to hit them with throughout the record uh, by having that keyboard intro and everything. What were the themes that you and David talked about in terms of that particular song lyrically? And, and was it the first song you wrote? Is that why it ended up first or just was the one that seemed to fit there the best? So initially I, there was a concept that I was toying around with when I set out to write some things. And I had initially thought that maybe we could pull themes from fairy tales with the idea being of taking things like Cinderella and the Pied Piper and, uh, and Little Red Riding Hood. And I'm like, maybe we can kind of do modern views of these things. Like, you know, I remember I had one song on the album, which still exists in some form called The Glass Slipper, which was sort of like an unrequited. A modern story of unrequited love, but told with the um, told with the uh, the metaphors of the Cinderella story, mm. you know, of uh, that all someone is left holding is this glass slipper, and where'd she go? You know, like uh, so, I was trying to tell a heartbreaking modern story that alluded to a fairy tale. So I was like, so I didn't want to do like, uh, you know, but so there are some relics of that throughout it, and I wanted the opening of this album to sound like what you would want to be playing if you were opening a big giant old Grimm's fairy tale storybook. So, um, so hence the musical box, you okay. know, and the theme that opens the album. So, um, so that was a little, uh, a bit of something left over from there, but I felt like it also, it harkened back to dark and stormy night. And I knew that we were going to be, jumping with both feet into this heavy sound with this. So like you said, I'm like, I knew a lot of people would listen to this album and say, oh, they're more hard rock than Prague now, you know? And I'm like, well, how about we open with a seven and a half minute song with a two minute keyboard intro and an even longer instrumental break and then say, we're not straying that far, <laughs> you know, like, you know, we, we, we still very much are inspired by, you know, Prague, even if, you know, we stray from it. 
Yeah. And with it, you know, these titles, the first couple, you know, vampires and a new death, you're, you guys are kind of known for being a little bit out there, a little bit macabre, a little bit, uh, you know, some science fiction. You've, you've done Twilight Zone stuff. You've obviously done Stephen King stuff. Uh, Welcome to the Freak Room has has got some, you know, some some stuff on it that's kind of a little bit out there as well in terms of, of you know, what's different. I mean, kind of living up to that Shadow Circus name. It's 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 a name of a, the name of your band is a little mysterious, a little dark. And maybe even a little creepy, but in all the right ways that, you know, sell, you know, horror movies and things like that. So these first two song titles, you know, if you're looking at it and you're a Shadow Circus fan, you you see these and you go, oh, OK, this is going to be great. It's going to be just like all the rest. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> when I when I first thought of the uh, the, the theme of, of doing fairy tales, I was kind of like, um, yeah, we, we always have this like, you know, so, yeah. There's the Shadow Circus brand. We we're, we we always the, the name itself was inspired by Ray Bradbury. Something wicked this way comes, mm-hmm. you know, which uh, for Dave and I is one of our favorite stories uh, and books, uh, you know, and uh, and and um, and we're like, you know, so kind of coming from that angle and and realizing that we were coming from an area where Prague was happily coexisted with with hard rock, you know, with, um, like things like early Alice Cooper, you know, and, and in recent times with bands like ghost, you know, and, mm. uh, ghost would never throw around the term probably they were a massive influence on us, uh, during this because they were just, they have some really moogie instrumentals on their stuff. And, and I'm like, Oh, Tobias Forge absolutely as a prog fan, <laughs> you know, you, you totally get it. So I'm like, I'm like, I like this area. You can play with dark, but you can play with dark in a friendly way. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's interesting too, because ghost kind of rose during that whole time that you guys were making the record, but also before you started making the record when you really weren't sure what was next for you guys. So it's uh, it's, it's kind of a, a modern day signpost for, for where you guys are uh, in terms of your influences and stuff. So it, and it, of course, the stuff that they do is is darker and macabre, but it's also fun and very much tongue in cheek at times. So uh, it works on that level, just like your, you know, your ode to uh, the Willoughby, uh, the Twilight Zone stuff is is fantastic. You could probably do several albums worth of just Twilight Zone songs. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, love Willoughby, and like I said, I have more stuff like that. But. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a blast. It's fun to do, you know. And, and at first, one of the themes that I, I thought of for a, like an overarching concept for the album was I was like, you know, um, confronting things that are dark. It, it seems like in the in the effort to refine the world and how we look at things, it seems like some I have sometimes felt that it was counterintuitive to kind of. Um, avoid avert our eyes to things that are dark because i think in doing so you end up invite those things tend to invite themselves in then in unexpected ways you know in your psyche like you know and uh, i'll make a really far out reference here uh i don't know if you're familiar with a horror movie called the babadook I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's really interesting and it wasn't what i expected it's super scary um but it's all a sort of allegory uh, for 
Carl Jung's whole theory of the shadow self and how you have to acknowledge the shadow self. And other Prague musicians have caught on to this. Tools 46 and 2. It, it, the lyrics deal with kind of confronting uh, the shadow self, meaning the dark side of you, if there's something upsetting to you. And the, so the thing that was happening in that movie was the woman had a husband who passed away and she was blocking it out of her mind. But then this terrifying creature would appear out of surprise at, at unexpected moments and haunt them. And it kind of became an allegory for her grief that she was burying. And ultimately, she finds a place in the basement for this creature to live. And she brings it food and like keeps it in the basement behind a locked door, but she acknowledges it. She allocates a space to it. Yeah. And then she lives harmoniously with her grief. You know, so um, so I kind of said, you know, that was the thing with the fairy tales, is I was like, Grimm's fairy tales, and like old, oh my god, German fairy tales. Very dark. <laughs> Very dark. Now the Pied Piper, uh, the, that's the theme of one of the songs. Well, you're going down the line, so I'll wait until yep. you get let, Let's put a pin in that topic. All right, so t- tell me about a new death. What, which which fairy tale were you exploring there? Okay, new death was not a fairy tale. Not a fairy tale. No, no. And that's why the fairy tale stuff was just a, there, there are remnants of it, but you know, mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't go with that as a concept. A new death is about the mental torment that, Dave Valera assistant and I could relate to went through during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very specifically, it refers to, I want to mention any divisive figures, but it refers to a specific figure who was prominent during that time, who is a source of a lot of grief and the kind of waking up every day. There's like at the beginning of that, it was like, now this person has died from it. Now this person has died from it. Now this person has died from it. And yeah. it was the idea of every day a new death, that this is this was the abuse our psyche was taking. was a frightening time i had previously at a previous job i had worked with emergency physicians and i was seeing photos of gurneys stretched down the hall and it was eerily similar to like the early stages of the of the uh the stand uh, the miniseries yeah yeah there are a lot of allusions to that so you know they, everything that we went through with that you know and then the kind of breakdown of empathy we watched the breakdown of empathy in society you know where it was just like just seeing 
how far people were collectively willing to go to stand behind, to stand against. Show I I had fought when I when when the when the pandemic first started. I said, "Thank God, this will be the end of partisanism." Partisanship. I'm like, I said, finally, everyone's going to band together. I'm like, this will be like Albert Camus' The Plague. You know, I don't know if you know that book, but I'm like, mm. there's a town full of terrible, selfish people, and the plague came, and they all worked beautifully and harmoniously together. And then the moment that the plague was over, a gunshot went off, and everybody was back to being, you mm. know, it's French, of course, you know, very dismal view of humanity, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. But in, in this case, it seemed like it was going that way. And then people decided they'd had enough, even though circumstances hadn't changed. They just decided to heck with it. We're just going to go about our lives. And that fatigue from it. And there yeah. were people, there were also people goading that fatigue into coming to the surface. You know, like, mm -hmm. like I think that, um, there were certain aspects of it where people may have remained empathetic and appropriately careful. You know, I think there were obviously a lot of missteps of leadership then, you know, um, where uh, they discouraged people from using masks because they didn't want them to use up all the masks that were, you know, were uh, uh, mm -hmm. needed by uh, healthcare. So that led to a lot of confusion and just telling everybody else to hold up indoors while healthcare tries to keep everybody from dying. I mean, look, it was unprecedented. There was nothing, nothing like that before in, in our lives that we could compare it to. And, you know, and, and just the idea that they were trying to avoid a situation where you didn't have places to help people who had heart attacks or got into car accidents anymore, you know, mm -hmm. where they were trying not to overwhelm the system. But then... Yeah. Then when it started getting characterized as just a plot to control everybody. And once you go down that rabbit hole, it's just like, oh no, man, yeah. really? Yeah, it, it was it got it got very ugly. And and some of that ugliness has unfortunately remained behind and and persists to this day. I don't know if we're going to get beyond it, but at some point people just need to realize that we're all made of the same stuff. We all got way too much in common. Uh, way more in common than we have differences. So maybe just shut up and help each other rather than be selfish bastards. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad and it's um, the internet giveth and the internet taketh away. You know, <laughs> it, 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 we, we, we found community. You and I met on a community for, pro, you know, for fans of Spock's beard and, yeah. uh, and formed a lot of great friendships out of that, that have, and that meeting online meeting that, that, that um, uh, forum led to the birth of Shadow Circus, you know, and, and so so the great things have come out of it. And we wouldn't have, you know, the band like this would never get signed to a real label, you know, in the absence of the internet, it wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. um, so good things come out of it, but it also allows really bad ideas to take hold and form communities around them as well. Yeah. Let's jump into the fire, into the fire. You've already talked a, a little bit about this is uh, David at having a, a discussion with his anxiety. Exactly. So it's, it's a dialogue. Um, uh, yeah. It, it couldn't, it couldn't really uh, summarize it any more succinctly than that. It's a conversation. Um, you know, the verses are, mm -hmm. are sung from the point of view of the individual 
suffering and trying to cope. And the choruses are, are the anxiety gleefully taking over that person's self-control and, and, and tormenting them. And was this the basic 2020 anxiety of what's going on with the pandemic? It, was, there, was there something deeper or more personal involved with this? More deep, more personal. So getting into it, like the way uh, Devin Townsend's, you know, stuff just talks from an honest point of view, you know, and just saying, you know what, hearing music sung by people who go through what you go through is a big relief. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you look for a tonic where you're like, I'm depressed, I need something cheerful. And sometimes, and if you ever met or or tried to help somebody who is going through like really, really nasty depression, sometimes that bafflingly has no effect or or is, or is, has a, a completely opposite effect of upsetting that person more if you've dealt with anybody with a depression or anybody on um on like you know an autism spectrum or anything like that like trying to simply snap them out of it with something happy isn't really helpful and here's an interesting thing that occurred to me when we were like you know what sing openly about your feelings Dave like let like like go ahead and he's not you know and he's doing great he's not like you know somebody who's um I had a really hard time every day. It is like everybody else. We you know, stuff he, he deals with and things about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, think about depression in the history of rock and roll. Heartbreak Hotel, Elvis Presley. I'm so lonely, I could die. How vague is that? Like pretty, it's pretty strong statement. <laughs> and it's that was song was huge. You would yeah. think, and that was unheard of at that time. But um, yeah. Black Sabbath's paranoid, solitude. Um, and you're right because sometimes you just want to know that there are other people out there that are experiencing what you're experiencing so that you don't feel that isolation on top of what you're feeling. Right. Right. And seeing other people happy and singing happy and like realizing this for people I've known who, who, who experienced this, seeing other people happy and like, you know, going in and for people who are having a rough time. And going on a social media where everybody is discouraged from sharing anything hurtful or personal, you know, like, who wants to see that? Just we just want to see your kittens and your food and your vacation. Then you, it's created this environment where you're like, is this how I'm supposed to always feel? Because I don't, you know. And mm-hmm. so realizing that the way, like you know, artists who sing honestly about their feelings, like I, I found with Devin Townsend was like, people are like, man, this song sums up exactly what I said. And I will tell you out of anything anyone has written or or said about this new album, there was somebody who, a completely new 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 fan who, who arrived at our Facebook page and I posted Into the Fire. I, I just posted it, the link to it on Spotify because that song, got picked up as having the most plays of any song on the album. And mm. We never did a video for it. We never paid to promote it. I had never posted it or shared it before. It just got picked up and had like thousands of plays. And so I posted that saying, hey, this area, people who listen to the song, we never promoted it. And somebody responded, completely new fan, uh, said, I'm so glad I found your music. It speaks, it says exactly what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i was like 
home run, not a home run that you're having a hard time. I'm not right. celebrating that. I'm just glad we could be here for you for it. Yeah. And you, you struck a nerve with somebody and you touched their soul. And that's, I mean, as an artist, that's gotta be one of the pinnacles of, of, you know, of, of achievement. Absolutely. And you can't do that merely singing stories that have already been written or, or merely with a blazingly fast 64th note triplet guitar solo. It's, it's got to come from the heart to do that. So I'm really happy with that choice and direction. I, I, and like my old mentor, Ramsey Amin, who I mentioned said, you, you really can't make a mistake by being honest. That's good advice. Good advice. Um, let's jump into moonshine haze. Was, uh, what was going on with it? Was that one of your fairy tale songs? No, that one is about our favorite strain at the time of marijuana. Okay. <laughs> it's right. legal. It's legal here in New Jersey. It's a, uh, so, uh, so how is this relevant? Um, self-medication. So, it, and it's a part of the concept of the honesty and of coping um, mm. is that is, that is the tonic for what is experienced in into the fire. Okay. Um, and it, and is that, is, and if you, and that, that song is sung from a sort of joyful, blissful point of view, it's sort of the Island of relief. Yeah. Well, that is a, a legitimate medical treatment for anxiety. It is for some, you know, and, and, and the right strain, you know, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, like everybody, everybody copes with things in different ways. I found during the pandemic that I was doing a lot of retail therapy. I was buying box sets. I was running up credit cards. Uh, I was trying to surround myself with nice things that I wanted to make myself feel better in some way. Yeah. I, you know what? I ran up my musician's friend and Sweetwater music cards and I've got, two moogs here that i bought during that's sitting just to my left there's some guitars hanging on this wall so yeah i mean fortunate that we were able to express some of our anxieties that way but yeah, yeah. It, that, that gets expensive though it does i'm not sure it's any healthier uh than you know self-medicating or anything like that but uh but that's that i i recognized it and i kept doing it even though i recognized it but i was at least a little more able to control it from that point on. I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like on Amazon constantly. What is, what is the deal? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I actually, and I had thought that it had fit in with the idea of um, uh, with the ideas we were going for on this, because I'm like, yeah, 
it's it is out of the need to provide a a comfort to yourself mm, yeah so we flip over to side two if you've ha- if you've got this on vinyl by the way are you putting out a vinyl for this if there's demand we would love to and we designed the album cover to be on vinyl but um there would have to if there's a demand for it we, we would happily do that so it's the title track would start off uh, the second side it's from the shadows tell me a little bit about this one this is to me was one of the weirdest songs and i struggled with it it initially sounded very different and at one point like i was i was really enjoying playing like the kind of fast rhythms that they played on like uh i'll see the light tonight and i was learning this kind of fast rhythm picking and i was experimenting with it and i had come up with some ideas that i really really liked and i came up with this I found that I ultimately found this sequence of chord changes with it that were just a joy to play. And once I started playing them, I couldn't stop. Like I had to finish the song. Like I couldn't play a verse and put the guitar down. I was like, no, this now just has to go into the pre-chorus. This now has to play the chorus. And I'm like, it, it just all happened. And I challenged myself to do a solo on this that was written around chord changes that are more similar are in like guitar instrumentalist albums like Joe Satriani or Steve Vai, where I was like, let me just give it this kind of like a melodic movement that I can solo over very melodically and then a groove to just do some laps over it that I could just really have fun and solo. So, so for me, that was just like a, um, a fast kind of fun guitar piece where I was just having a blast playing. the uh the lyrics to it it's it, it kind of followed suit into the fire is kind of this wrestling with depression moonshine haze is kind of the tonic for the depression and from the shadows was that kind of feeling of the kind of joy that you can experience when you do have those moments where you've overcome the things that are very dark mm. you know so that's why so it really from the shadows doesn't mean there's something scary coming from the shadows. It's like I was in the shadows. Now I've emerged from it. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. This is of the, of the eight songs on the record. This is one of my favorites. And the other two are vampires second star from the right. So you've got high point beginning, middle and end for me. Wow, that's so cool! Thanks. I'm I'm really really glad that this song grabbed you. I uh, 
I had so many mixed feelings about it because I was like, this is just such a guitar gymnasium for me that I wondered if I was being too indulgent with it. I was like, to me, it was the least proggy sounding. So, so I'm really, really happy. It's really fun and satisfying to take a risk with something and then it connects. With well, as a, so. as a dream theater fan, I'm, I'm not immune to, uh, or, or not averse to uh, self-indulgence at all. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, here's the, now you telling me about some of the themes from this record makes this next title a little more, uh, it brings a little clarity to it. It's, uh, through the witching hour, but also in parentheses, misery inside. So this is kind of like a, uh, a, a, a a sort of return to the themes of Into the Fire. This is again something about dealing with with an internal uh, a conflict and just really talking honestly. You know, it's 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 another one of those explorations of of complete honesty. And interestingly enough, that was a song that was written an acoustic as an acoustic fingerstyle piece when I was heavily studying Lindsay Buckingham and uh, yeah. So I originally wrote that it was originally recorded completely with finger style acoustic guitar. And it was in the last like um, two months of recording that one day I, I felt like this just doesn't, this sounds like it doesn't belong on the album. It just sounds like it's sitting out on its own. And one day I found this like, um, I'm a really big fan of, and I know you're gonna have you're gonna have a half a dozen prog fans click the back button when I say this, but I'm a huge fan of early Def Leppard, uh, and I love the rhythm guitar work of Steve Clark, their original, you know, uh, yes. uh, guitarist. Yes. yes, and he had this clean chorus sound that you heard on uh, songs like "Bring It On the Heartache" and and uh, "Foolin" and you know, and all those early songs, and I was like. And one day I was just like, let me see if I can get a sound somewhere in that range. And I was like, wait a minute. And then I played the progression that I had been doing finger style, but I did it just with the flat pick and with that clean chorus, like kind of Steve Clark sound. And it just hit me on the gut, you know, where I was like, oh man, that's deep. And it just, it, I was like, and every time I, I, so I recorded it and, uh, and I was like, it was such a last minute change, but I couldn't, it went from the song that I was wondering if we would have to cut because it, it didn't make any sense in the context of the sound of the rest of the album to at the last minute becoming one of my favorites. Mm, great. I would never, I would never bag on anybody for being a Def Leppard fan, huge fan of Def Leppard and, and uh, rock and peace, Steve Clark. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. That brings us to the one you started to tell me about, Pay the Piper. So you were you were starting to tell me a little bit of a story about this one. Go ahead and uh, and complete it. Sure. So yeah, this was um, I had just bought a new bass uh, to. Uh, uh, it's not it wasn't a fancy bass. It was just like a two hundred dollar bass from. Uh, 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 I forget what the online so Rondo Music. It was a Rondo Music bass, which by the way makes great stuff, really cheap. And I'm not, and I'm not, I don't have an affiliate link for you. I'm sorry. You'd have to go call Rondo Music if you want that before you post this. But um, so I was like, I was having fun going back and playing some like Steve Harris stuff from Iron Maiden. Nice. Um, and I'm like, you know, and I was really digging on the kind of arpeggios he was playing at like the beginning of uh, like a lot of the intros of the songs, like Hallowed Be Thy Name and, and uh, 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 To Tame a Land. You know, and of course, Maiden has always been something in the back of our minds because they are also our our forefathers in in literary references in music. You know, a lot of literary references in their music. Yes, you know, so we were always able to kind of like say, yeah, that's that's really cool. But they did, and they drew a lot of attention to you know the their literary references. But in any case, I was playing like. I was like, you know, just having fun playing like some Steve Harrisy kind of stuff. And I started coming up with this thing. And I, so I wrote that song on the bass. Uh, and, um, and when I went back to, uh, to do, and I also knew at that time that uh, Alex Ripetti was an engineer and who played bass on that song, that he was a big fan of that kind of metal style of bass playing and that he could play it really well. And I was like, let me write a really fun part for Alex to play, you know, and give him like a really cool Steve Harrisy kind of bass intro <laughs> to sink his teeth into. So uh, I went and did that. And uh, so musically, that's where it came from. And ultimately, the uh, musically, the guitar part came from me listening to a lot of Adam Jones from Tool, you know, and having that kind of chugging, like kind of hammering off, like kind of guitar part that's like feels like it's moving in slow motion while being really kind of tricky at the mm. same time and um and i i had heard the vocal of the chorus in my head so i gave dave the chorus that i heard and i'm like this is how this has to go and i gave him the theme and he's like 
I don't know that story. I don't know the Pied Piper. So he went and he watched a movie and he read the story and he came up with it. So yeah, it is just a, just a note. It's, it's derived from one of the darker earlier versions of the story. You know, there's the lighthearted version of the story. Most people would tell their kids today is the Pied Piper just led the kids away and they went happily trotting Mm -hmm. along. And the, this early dark version of the story and what is the story that's around the town of Hamelin, Germany, where something actually did take place, is that those kids were led to their death and they were drowned in a river. Uh, you know, so we did a lyric video for it that actually, here's something I didn't know. I always thought it was just a fairy tale. I thought it was just an object lesson about paying your debts and being Mm -hmm. honest. I did not know until we finished recording the album that it is based on a legendary event that is it's in the, it's in like the town ledgers and in diaries that a Piper came to this town and led the children of the town away. And there's even a record later in the town's history that says it's been a hundred years since our children disappeared. So that creeped me the F out when I heard that. So I did, I did a lyric video on it, you know? So I'm like, I was like, wow, this was, this is wild, you know? So, so yeah. So it ended up being even darker than we thought and getting back to why it's a bad idea to do a concept album based on especially German fairy tales <laughs> is you will have an album based on kids dying horribly. Not a good concept. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of unhappy uh, fairy tales. Hansel and Gretel leaps to mind. Um, yeah. not Yeah. It did not turn out well to them. I mean, you picture <laughs> two kids with pigtails kind of skipping through but that's not how it turned out for them is it no it's not so it's interesting that you you started that with a with the steve harris thing in mind because of obviously uh although iron maiden is a, a new wave of british heavy metal band a classic one at that also a lot of progressive rock leanings in what they do yeah and that's always where we've come from you know i think there's we were we we're always in a category of you know, being rock and hard work, some, sometimes harder, sometimes softer, where prog is one of the ingredients we love bringing in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we already talked a little bit about Second Star from the right. It's a, uh, like I said, I, I look at this song as a, it's just a, like a, a denouement. Again, a, 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 you, you have the, or an epilogue, if you will. You've got this sort of aggressive album that, you know, is a little bit heavier than what you we're used to from from shadow circus and then at the end you you let us kind of decompress relax unwind with this more atmospheric piece and it's 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 a gorgeous piece i think it's one of my favorite shadow circus songs of the four albums wow thank you thank you very much that's that's a huge compliment when i told you when you asked me earlier about how the band started and I, it basically started with that melody that grabbed dave in, in journey of every man when i played that piano part for him he had said that was the first thing that hit him like that melody did 
where he he said it he said it's heartbreaking it, it makes me feel like I, I want to cry like he, he he and i was so blown away that you know by his response to that i'm like okay yeah and and that was the other i guess that was the second thing that made it through where it was like a little bit of a fairy tale theme that i wanted to represent a real feeling instead of just like telling a story about a kid in london yeah yeah what i like about it too is that there's a there's a vibe to it that's a little sad but also hopeful and and and, and the two of those things coexisting in the same song is i mean it's it's a remarkable achievement but it's also unusual yeah and I, I, it, it, that that song for me is kind of like a uh, like i said it's a a summary for what brought us to this album things we felt during this album and and, and a feeling of wanting to grab life you know like i, I know i know one thing that um, sentiment we've always had is you know we've had friends i've had friends who i used to play in bands with or who i knew were talented musicians uh uh when i was younger and where i'd kind of be like hey so and so how's you know the guitar playing they'd be like oh man i'm i'm this many years old i, I can't make time for that anymore and where people kind of took owning their age as a sign that they were supposed to stop loving their life like like mm -hmm. like and i i saw this as a pattern and i'm like and and for me it was a little sad and 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 i think that you know look there are things that can make that happen that are out of your control you know you to really keep on having a good time you've got to have your health big 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 thing nobody who's runs into a health problem is making a decision to not enjoy their life it's it's, it's something rough happens but that idea of um of of the there are people who i know people who are perfectly fine health who are make really great money and choose to look at anything that's like kind of enjoyable like making music or you know like and having art in your life as as something that's a sign of immaturity somehow mm. so um so this so part of this for and i know for for me and definitely for dave was kind of the view of no you don't have you you can be you as long as you want and can be you you know and it, you know and there's a right before the guitar solo you hear a voice screaming in the background grow up grow up and then the solo just soars and that's kind of like you know virtually the 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 ship that sails above the clouds in, in Peter Pan taking it over. It's just like, no, fuck growing up. <laughs> I'm, I'm soaring into the clouds with the pirate ship. You, know? and, yeah. and you can't lose your sense of play. I mean, you don't, not just playing instruments, but just playing. I mean, playing games, you know, go out, shoot some hoops, whatever it is that you enjoy. You can't lose that sense of fun and wonder in your life. Absolutely, you know, and I, and I and the thought came back in in a way like you know thinking about the holidays because like you know uh, I was having a conversation uh, uh, with somebody recently where where we were talking about like you know the kind of tired old sentiment when people are like ah holidays are really just for the kids you know and I'm like 
should see our house decked out at Christmas time and Halloween time. Forget about it. It's it's freaking nuts here. It's a Halloween. I, I'm not surprised that you go big on Halloween. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and Christmas too. I mean, it's, 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 it's lit up down there and, uh, and kind of looking at it like, you know, so, well, of course it seems like it's just for the kids. If you think that being over 40 means you're not allowed to have toys anymore or that you can't enjoy the songs that bring back fun memories or, you know, like just insist that your life be fun. And which is also kind of an idea of the tonic for some of the struggles the album talks about the other, you know, it's, it's not a one, we never wanted it to be a one dimensional album. Like let's make an album about depression. It's, it's about depression. And, and one thing I didn't say about vampires that, uh, by the way, just quickly fast forward in the beginning, big allegory for being victim of bullying in that song, mm. uh, you know? Um, uh, so, so just something, if anybody's interested to check that out and read the lyrics and see how it relates to that. But so it's about, you know, coping with hardships in life, being honest about the, the, uh, the effects that it has on you. And to, you're also allowed to help yourself out of it. And you're also allowed to, when you can, go ahead and grab life by the balls, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, John. So what's the best place for people to buy this record, this uh, CD? Uh, for people on the U.S. side, uh, Bandcamp, uh, shadowcircus.bandcamp.com. And uh, for anyone in Europe, and though we will ship to anyone in the world, uh, wherever you are, uh, just know that postage is really expensive now. It's like 20 bucks to get a CD across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, uh, we're working with Just for Kicks, uh, which is our distributor in Europe. So justforkicks.de. Uh, and so you can order CDs directly from them. And uh, they're also going to be distributing so, to some other channels in Europe soon. So look out for that. Awesome. So when you... I should say when someone buys the the CD and they put it on, they listen to it all the way through in the dark, maybe with the candle burning and the, the sound way up. What do you want them to take from that experience? What is your hope as the artist that behind this music? What do you what do you want that person to experience at the end of that forty seven ish minutes uh, of music? Uh, I'm hoping that they'll hear a little bit of themselves in it. That you know that 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 there's something that they can relate to, and that if, if whether that's something that's like you know I was never a big lyric listener myself, you know so so I can I I relate to things more on a sonic level where I'm like ooh this is a sonic world I relate to or a sonic world I want to be in. So if if some of the music or all of it puts somebody in a sonic world that they enjoy being in that would that would be great all right uh, i know you talked about your facebook page so people can find out about the band on your facebook page where else can they interact with you and learn more about shadow circus uh so let's see uh facebook is a great place we're on instagram but see and you'll start to see more stuff on instagram uh definitely watch out and subscribe to us on youtube because we're going to be putting out lyric videos for everything we've ever written Uh, and, um, maybe it'll be fun to, I can hint at a future announcement. We're, um, soon going to be re-releasing, uh, or or releasing a completely remixed 
version of our second album, Whispers and Screams. Uh, and so that's also going to come along with a special edition of Project Blue that's just one song that you can listen to seamlessly. So we can kind of defeat the Spotify notion of just grabbing one song out of the middle of a suite, you know, mm-hmm. and you also have the option of just listening to it as one whole piece. So um, we we want to have a, so we'll have a presence for every Shadow Circus song ever published on YouTube. Nice. I, I'm looking forward to the radio people one already. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have some really fun ideas for that. So that's a, that's a fun song. Um, all right. So I didn't ask you this before about this, but this is uh, self-released and self-produced. Uh, self-released. And uh, as far as the production, yeah, I mean, we always, uh, uh, the band has always been in charge of its own, you know, mixing and mastering and all that. But our, um, the credit for the, um, production and the engineering side of the production mainly uh, goes to Alex Ripetti, who uh, is an incredibly talented uh, bass player as well as an audio engineer. Uh, he's mixed some great albums. He, um, he uh, his band Infinite Spectrum had toured with Fate's Warning and uh, Eden Song, who are great okay. friends as well. So, uh, so yeah, listen for anything Alex has done. He's, he's brilliant. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, just two more quick questions. I'm sorry to have kept you so long, but I, I this is a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating conversation. I am interested in knowing if there. I, I know that the the venues for it are limited. Are there plans to play this stuff live somewhere? Absolutely, there are, and um, uh, and circles back to a question you had asked at the beginning of the interview, where we were like, so you know, why this sound, you know, like format did we pursue and one of the reasons that we went for a more guitar forward sound is so we can play much more easily. Uh, uh, and we can pick up, we, the Crosby stills and Nash once said this, they wanted to be able to knock on someone's door and perform an album, you know? Uh, so, um, so we're hoping that with this kind of a uh, little more of a quartet, you know, kind of sound that we'll be able to pick up and play anywhere. Okay, great. And then last question it's not going to be another decade before we get another album, right? Uh, no. And in <laughs> fact, um, you're going to be seeing something more akin to what like artists like Peter Gabriel has done, where you may be seeing something from us very soon because this is, this is, this album is just a moment, you know, it, it, uh, for us, we want to get to the next moment, maybe even within a couple of months, but it, it'll, you know, it, kind of like more of the one song at a time format. Okay. Well, I'm not going to hold you to putting one out every full moon or anything like that. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) John Fontana from shadow circus. It's been a blast talking to you. It's been, it's been great catching up with you. You mentioned that we, we originally met way back when on the Spox beard message board, we've, we've met in person and interfaced with, uh, with each other at, at what we playfully called wood Spock which was a, the Spox board, uh, Spox message board uh, gathering uh, in Philadelphia. So that was fun at, at, uh, at uh, up at Rich Flamini's house and, and, um, and Gary Sauer's place. Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you about this record. I, I hope it does really well for, for you. And I hope your fans that are more into the proggy stuff will at least appreciate what you attempted to do here. If, if they don't, if it's not their bag, there's more music on the way soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I didn't realize how, how long we went. So thanks for letting me yammer on. It's been, 
<laughs> it's been a blast. It takes two to yammer. And so <laughs> I know I'm long-winded as well, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, again, hope it does great for you. And uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.